The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. John 2, 13 through 25. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get, out, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. The temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Thank you, Addie. Great to have my daughter read the scripture before I'm able to get up here. So good morning. This morning we are definitely looking at a passage that is a little unique. <clears throat> Jesus going into the temple and chasing everybody out. And I want to begin by, by saying, I think we all in our lives sometimes, or we, we all have certain people that we hear, they share opinions, they share their views, and it's consistently crazy. And we just dismiss them, and we think, there goes that person again. That's just today's version, today's manure du jour. And we just keep going. Don't give it much thought. But sometimes there is a view or something that you think is crazy, but it comes out of the mouth of someone you deeply respect. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where, where someone's saying something and you're thought, well, I used to think only crazy people thought this, but there's this one person that I really, really respect and they just said that. And I think a lot of times we give some of those ideas a second thought, we think about it a little bit longer because we know the person. And so what I want us to do this morning as we reflect on Jesus doing something that probably throws us off a little bit, let's give it a second glance, a second thought, because we know who he is. The same Jesus we heard talked about last week is the same Jesus we're talking about this week. Remember, last week was Jesus coming to the, to the wedding, to the feast, bringing the wine, bringing the best wine, we're not talking about box wine, twist-off cap wine. This is fancy restaurant, you got to wear a coat wine. That's the Jesus that we're still talking about. This is still the same person. But today is something that is a little bit different. And so I, in, I encourage you, I invite you to stick with me as we look at and see what we can learn from Jesus this week. Uh, let me pray for our time. 
Father, we are grateful for your word that challenges us. We are grateful for your son. We pray that you will draw us closer to you in this time this morning. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So the title for the sermon this week is From the Life of the Party to the Party Disruptor. Jesus goes from saving the party, saving the wedding, saving the feast, to now he's showing up in the temple chasing everybody out. What is going on? So to understand the setting, first of all, this is a major feast for the Jews. People are coming from very distant places. If you read Acts chapter 2, you'll see all the different places that people are coming from. People are traveling from long distances, and part of what they're doing is they're going to worship God in the temple in Jerusalem, and part of this involves sacrificing an animal. You have to have an animal, and as you can imagine, if you're traveling long distances, you could not check that in your baggage on the flight. So, for convenience sake, it was perfectly acceptable for people to buy an animal there. It was perfectly acceptable for there to be money changers there who could change the money for them. So, the fact that there were people in Jerusalem selling animals, changing money, providing those services, that was not necessarily wrong what they were doing. So, what's going on here? Why is Jesus so upset that he goes into the temple and starts chasing everybody out? And I want to draw our attention to something about Jesus, that Jesus goes about this in a way that I simply, it confuses me. This is not how I would have done it. I want you to think about this. Whenever we look at verse uh, 14, in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables, exchanging money. So before doing anything, Jesus got up and explained to everybody what he was about to do. No, that's not what it said. Jesus acts, and then he talks later. Jesus goes in and doesn't say, hey, listen, everybody, what I'm about to do is going to shock some of you. Let me explain why I'm doing what I'm doing. No. He doesn't do that. He goes in, he acts first, and then, and then goes into it. And we see this going throughout the passage that Jesus is not taking the time to explain everything he's doing. Jesus, he goes in, he acts, he chases everybody out, says, you've made this a marketplace which is kind of an explanation, but it's really not that developed. He's not really giving a full explanation of why he's doing what he's doing. They ask him, what sign do you give us? And Jesus could have given a sign. He could have done something that, that said, this is why I have this power. He didn't, he didn't do that. He talks about destroy this temple. And he doesn't mean the physical building. He was talking about his body, but people didn't get it, and Jesus didn't stop to, and slow down and explain it. He just kept going. And this whole time I'm thinking, man, I've read books on teaching, and I don't think that's how you're supposed to do it, Jesus. I, my wife's a teacher. I don't think that's how, how she teaches. What is going on here? 
I think one of the things that Jesus wants us to get is that he has authority. He has authority. And before we go on, I do want to say there, there is a reason, and when we read the other Gospels, we do get a little bit more of an understanding of why Jesus would have been upset. So it's possible that while people were selling animals, that was a service, a legitimate service, it seems likely that probably some people were profiting off of the poor. There was some economic exploitation. Or possibly that they were doing it in the place in the temple where non-Jews were supposed to be able to worship, and this is an ethnic issue. And that's possibly what's going on. Or it's possible that people were just going through a ritualism, worshiping God without thinking, and what they were doing was okay, but they shouldn't have done it in the temple. It should have been outside. There's a couple different things that are going on that could help us to, uh, to understand why Jesus is so upset, why he's doing what he's doing. But the point I think John wants us to get is that Jesus has the authority to do it even if you don't understand it. Jesus has the authority to do it, even if you don't understand it. And when I was looking for an illustration for this, I thought of the movie Moneyball. Uh, in the book Moneyball, it's one of my favorite books, movies. I love sports and I'm a huge nerd. So a movie about statistics in sports, it was great, I loved it. In this movie, you see something where the general manager for the Oakland A's, this is, I think, about 20 years ago, was beginning to do something with using statistics in evaluating the talent of baseball players. Now, today, most teams would have somebody that they pay to run these statistical analyses. But back then, this was pretty different. And Billy Bean looked at the way that people were evaluating talent and said, this doesn't work. This is really bad. And he would listen to his talent scouts, guys who had been doing this for 30 years. And they would say things like, we should get this guy because he looks good when he swings a bat. And Billy Bean throughout the whole movie and the book is saying, guys, we're not selling jeans. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care if he looks like a, a duck that's waddling up to the plate. I don't care about any of that. Just let me look at the stats and tell me, does the guy get on base? Does the guy get on base? That's all I want to know. And there's one scene in the movie where the, the guy that he has hired to run the statistical analyses is always nervous because nobody likes what they're doing. And I, I can get it. You're going into a room of people who have been doing this professionally, evaluating talent for decades, and you're telling them all that what they're doing is wrong. It doesn't work well. And so he is consistently nervous. Hey, Billy, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? We need to help them understand this. We need to explain this to them. And Billy Bean looks to, to this guy and says, you feel like you need to explain everything to everybody. This is a problem. Stop explaining everything to everybody, because what he knew was, if we wait for this to make sense to everybody, we're never going to do it. It's never going to happen. Think about what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is talking about how sinful people can have a relationship with God. Jesus is teaching on power and what to do with it, and how when you have it, you lay it aside. 
Jesus is teaching about how when you have your enemies, you're not wishing the worst on them, but you're loving them and you're caring for them. If Jesus had waited until everybody thought what he was teaching made sense, we would still be waiting today. And Jesus did not do that. He said, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. I have the authority to teach this. And even if this doesn't make sense to you, if you don't get it, you need to recognize that part of being a disciple of Jesus is following Jesus when he doesn't make sense to you. Following him when what he's saying sounds crazy, sounds like it makes no sense. We need to recognize our limitations. I also thought of, for me personally, an example of this is recently, I was talking to a good friend of mine. She is uh, soon writing her dissertation, looking at a lot of nonprofit work in certain neighborhoods, looking at housing policies, gentrification, all of these topics. And I, and I, and I went to my friend and said, I don't understand a lot of this. Will you, could you recommend a book? And she recommended a book to me. And about a month or two ago, I finished reading it. And I'm going to be honest, there was a lot in the book that did not make sense to me. There were several times I found myself thinking, that doesn't seem like a, a great explanation. There's got to be something else here. But you know what I did not do? I did not throw the book away and say, this is garbage. I should never listen to this author again. I said, I know my friend who recommended the book, and she knows more about this topic than I do. So if this book doesn't make sense to me, it's likely that the issue lies with me, not the author of the book. So I'm going to read it again. And after I'm done reading again, I'm probably going to call my friend and say, can you explain this to me and use smaller words and maybe speak a little bit slower so I can get what's going on here? Too often, we hear something that doesn't make sense to us, and we just discard it. We throw it away. There, there's got to be something else. And we don't think, well, perhaps the problem is with me. Perhaps the problem is with my thinking, with my understanding. I think far too often as a society, we can function like one giant Karen meme. If we don't like what God says, we want to speak to the manager and tell him, straighten him out and say, this, you should not have said this. This is what you should have said. And what I think we need to do is to, first of all, take a step and think, is it possible that Jesus knows something I don't? Is it possible that there's something going on? And so I, when I think of the first main idea that we should get from this passage is that being a disciple of Jesus means that sometimes he's going to fill your table He's going to bring the wine. He's going to set the feast. And sometimes he's going to overturn the tables in your life, in your lives. And it's not going to make sense, and you're not going to like it, and you're not going to understand it. There's a quote by Tim Keller. If Jesus Christ comes into your life, he will on the one hand sometimes fill your table with a feast, and other times he will turn your table over and spill everything on the ground. And I think we have to embrace Jesus and recognize he will do both of those things. And so where I would like you to think this morning is, how does this impact your life? I think in our society, uh, 
it is common for me to hear somebody say, I cannot believe in a God who doesn't allow people to do fill in the blank. I cannot believe in a God who would do this. And sometimes I'm thinking, there's a lot of people that I think don't believe in, would not believe in a God that disagrees with them. And we need to think, we need to look at ourselves and say, is, is it possible that there's something we're missing? Now, I want to be fair here. A lot of times we, we struggle with something in the Bible because we have misunderstood it. That truly is the case. There have been times where I'm struggling with something in the Bible, and then I, I dig in deeper, and I realize, oh, well, it actually wasn't saying that, okay? That does happen a lot of times. But sometimes we just don't, want, we just don't like what it says, and we need to recognize that in that case, I need to change. To give a few examples of what this might look like, I remember a good friend of mine who had gone through a divorce, and he was wondering, I know God hates divorce. Is it okay for me to get remarried? He knew what he wanted the Bible to say. But what I respected about him was he said, you know what? I'm not going to just read one book that tells me what I want to hear. I want to really dig in and say, what does the Bible say on this? Is the Bible potentially going to tell me that I shouldn't remarry and maybe I really don't like this? And I am not going to talk about divorce and remarriage. I'm not going to address this question. But, but do you get the, 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 the gravity of that question he was asking? A close friend of mine was going through, I, I want to do what God thinks is best for me, even if it's incredibly inconvenient and it's not what I want. And I respected that. I think there's other times where Maybe it's not a particular view, but it's something in our life where we're telling God, hey, this is off limits. A friend of mine, when he was pastoring a church, was leading a session on, uh, on race and how the church should think about this, this topic. And he told me he had one person come to him and say, hey, pastor, I'm excited about this. I'm looking forward to us talking about race, but I want to let you know right up front, I'm not okay with us addressing systemic racism. And my friend thought, what am I supposed to do with that? You, you want to talk about this topic, but this part of it, you're just declaring off limits. Uh, are there areas in our lives where we're saying, God, I've already figured this issue out. And so this issue is just off limits. I don't need God to instruct me. I don't need God to correct me. Is, is it something like that? Is there an area of our lives where we have just declared it off limits to God? Or could it be, I think of my life, I, uh, when I graduated from seminary, I wanted to be a Bible college professor. And for me, I thought, this is just great. I can study. I can teach. Uh, I love studying. I can read books all day. And that has just not happened in my life. There has, there has just been, my life has just been more complicated and there have been far more interruptions than I had originally planned. And, and I think so many times when we can say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And I know that this issue is important to you. So I will send a check to this organization or I will volunteer here on these terms. 
And I think sometimes Jesus wants to look at us and say, hey, I'm, I'm the one that's deciding what goes on the table. I'm the one that can take what you put on the table and flip it over and put something else on top. And so for us, are there areas where we have just declared certain things off limits? I think this is one main idea from the passage. Jesus has got to be the person that we allow to set the table and to flip it over when we've got stuff on it that shouldn't be there. And the next point I want us to look at in this passage is Jesus' teaching about the temple. Jesus makes this statement when they ask, people ask him for a sign. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And it's not all that confusing that people thought he was talking about the physical building that they were in. That's, that's where people's minds went. But Jesus was making a comment about something new that was happening. He was talking about himself as the temple. He was saying, yeah, we have this building that, that we're, all, we're all in right now, but actually this building is pointing to something else, and what it's pointing to is me. And to understand this, we need to understand some of what the temple did. What was its function? When we see God creating the world, the whole world is God's. And yet we see in Genesis 1 and 2, God having fellowship with humans in a geographical location, in the Garden of Eden. And they have fellowship. They have communion there. There's a relationship. And sin messes it up. They decide, Adam and Eve decide they know better. And so there's this separation. But God does not abandon them. He, he still wants to be in relationship with them. And so we do not see God abandoning them, but later on, we see God providing a place and him saying, I will meet you here. First of all, it's the tabernacle. And I think it's significant that in the book of Exodus, we read about the tabernacle after the people of God have failed miserably. And we see this theme, God's people fail miserably, and yet God is still providing a way for there to be a relationship. God is still providing a way. And we see the temple. And in both the tabernacle and in the temple, there's this imagery you would walk in and you would see certain things that would remind you about the Garden of Eden, that would remind you about God's desire to have relationship with humans. And Jesus is saying, this physical location that teaches you and remind you of God's desire to have relationship with humans, that's me. If you want to know God, it's not just happening in this building, it's happening in me. Think about this. We know who God is because God became human. John 1.14 says that uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus became the dwelling among us. Instead of just saying, there's the geographical location, go to it, God came to us. And this is really key. When we're talking about we need to follow Jesus even when he doesn't make sense, this is not blind following of a person that we know nothing about. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. Yes, we are talking about following Jesus, and many times he says things, he teaches things that don't make sense to us. Yes, that's true. But it's not like God has said, I'm not going to reveal anything about who I am to you. 
as we keep going through John, we will continue to learn who Jesus is. Jesus, uh, last week, he cares about this potential shame this one family might have. And, and you can think about that. Wow, Jesus, King Jesus cares about this one family and the potential shame that they might encounter. And he responds to that. And so when we're talking about following Jesus when it's difficult, when it's hard to understand, keep in mind, it's not like we don't know anything about him. And this is going back to the opening illustration. I think there are times where somebody has an idea that we think is crazy, and there's a couple reasons why sometimes we stick with them. Maybe we think, well, this person's incredibly smart. So if they hold it, there's got to be something I don't get. Or maybe this person has inside information. This person is telling me I should trust what's going on here, even though on the surface everything seems crazy, but that person actually is on the inside. They know something I don't know, so maybe I should trust them. Or it's that the person has great character, and we know this person is not someone who manipulates people. I can trust this person. With Jesus, it's all of those. He's smarter than you and me. He has more inside information than you and me, and he has better character than you or me. We can trust him, and it's because Jesus has not just left us in the dark. He has become the temple. He has dwelt among us. He has showed us who he is. And a key part of this is that the Jesus who, this is the second main idea, the Jesus who disrupts our lives has not hidden who he is. The Jesus who disrupts our lives has not hidden who he is. We know who he is. And I will say a big reason why I continue to follow Jesus, even though I keep finding things in the Bible that, that I don't like or that don't always make sense to me, is when I look at Jesus, he's just unique. I look at the resurrection and this is something for the disciples, too. After the resurrection, they were able to understand some things more clearly. Jesus rose from the dead. And not only that, but I look at the way Jesus, the power that he had and what he did with it to serve others, it's just different. I mentioned I'm a nerd. I love to read history and sociology. And there's one thing I've, I've learned from reading those is that people often misuse power consistently, a lot. It's a very common theme. And I look at Jesus and think, there's something different about Jesus. There's something that says, I can follow Jesus. That's someone I can trust. There's a whole lot of other people I have trust issues with, but I can follow Jesus and I can trust him. And another key idea from this, as we begin to think of, well, how does this impact us? I think this theme of the temple is important Jesus is taking the geographical location and saying, this is pointing to me. And we can also ask the question, well, then, when Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts, what, the temple left. What, where's the temple? We, we see later on, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit who lives inside those who follow Jesus, those who put their faith in Jesus, those who trust Jesus, and the world is meant to be filled with temples all over the world where people can experience who God is through the followers of Jesus. And it's important for us to look at what Jesus taught 
and to truly do that. And I want to make a very important point here. I have heard some people talk about this passage justifying horrible acts or horrible behavior. I remember in this last election listening to a podcast, someone said, yeah, Trump is rude and nasty to people, but Jesus threw people out of the temple. I don't think that's what we're getting here. And I want to point something out here. There were all kinds of pagan temples in that day that Jesus could have gone into and could have thrown people out because there were a lot of people doing things that God did not approve of and was not honoring to God. One of the things that we often see with Jesus is when he's being very direct and blunt, often it's with people who have his word and should know better. And so God sends us out, but I want to emphasize Jesus has an authority that you and I do not have. So do not go overturning tables wherever you work or in your neighborhood. Jesus is calling us to manifest in the, in the teachings of Jesus, the way he taught us to live, have people experience the presence of God through that. God is sending us out. And John is ending this way in John 17 and, and, and John 20. Jesus will say, as the Father sent me, so I send you. I am sending you out. And so I think when we're thinking about the, the presence of God, how can we be that presence of God in the lives of other people? And how can we do it in ways that we're truly trusting Jesus? We're following him even when he doesn't make sense. And I think one area where Jesus doesn't make sense to us but is highly significant is there actually is no geographical center for Christianity anymore, even though the church has consistently wanted to make a new geographical center. We, the, the, the church, the center, the geographical church of the center is not in Rome. And in the last couple of centuries, there's some people who have wanted to make it America. It's not America. It's not Rome. And this is highly significant. There is no one geographical center that everything focuses to. There is no Mecca as there is in Islam. In Islam, every mosque is supposed to point, literally point to Mecca. Everyone's praying in Arabic, one language. And Jesus is establishing his church in a way that's saying, there should not be a geographical center anymore. And, and the church needs to grasp that. And we need to stop doing what we've often done is saying, hey, we're the center now. We're, 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 our cultural patterns are what everyone needs to adapt to now. As we are sent out, we are not being sent out in that way. And so when we think about this passage, we're wrestling with the, the ideas of Jesus is calling us to follow him, and sometimes he will uh, provide a feast, and yet sometimes he's going to overturn the tables in our lives. And God is also communicating to us that he has not hidden himself from us. The God who disrupts us has not hidden himself from us, but has shown us who he is. And so this week, I would encourage you to reflect on how are you letting Jesus both fill you with what you need and also taking away what is in your life that should not be there? How are you doing that? 
When Jesus knocks on your door, are you peeking out the window to check and see if he's got a bottle of wine or if he's got athletic clothes on and looks like he might rearrange your furniture and you're choosing to decide whether or not you open the door or turn the lights off and hide depending on what he looks like? Or are you just saying, I am following Jesus and whichever one it is, he knows best. He knows what I need in my life. I invite you this week to reflect on that and to put your trust in Jesus and give him the control and be sent into the world to be the presence of God as you are following that Jesus. Father, we are grateful for your goodness. We are grateful that you have not hidden yourself from us. Thank you. Thank you for for our King Jesus. May you give us grace and strength to continue to follow him. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. As we go out into the world following Jesus, not manipulating Jesus, as we give our hearts to him, allowing him to form us and us not form him, uh, may we receive the blessing of God through the benediction today. If you lift your hands up. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.